I'm Lacey. And I'm Kippen. We're two friends who love to get lost inside a great story. And we're welcoming you to our own little book club. This is One Page More, a podcast. Okay, y'all, we tried to do this already, so we're going to do it again (laughs) for like probably 15 minutes we were talking. Oh, longer than that. At least like 25. Okay. We read read the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin, which is a sci-fi novel um, with based off of the experiences of three protagonists in a um in a dystopian yes uh Uh, a world riddled with extreme um environmental events is how i would say it like the world is really against the human race in this joint like the like there's acid rain there's volcanoes there's um long bouts of darkness like things will be fine but then the book itself which is called the fifth season every like couple of hundred years there's something called a fifth season where like a catastrophic event happens somewhere in the world and it basically like wipes out a lot of people at once and it makes like the food doesn't grow anymore the animals turn vicious um just these crazy wild events and to kind of help offset this, um, there are people within the world that are called Origins. They are both highly despised and also, I guess I would say, maybe highly sought after. Um, but at the same time, they're still, the, the local communities are tr- truly hesitant to befriend them. Uh, matter of fact, they typically tend to kill them. If they do not, the fulcrum is a... Um, it's a group of people that train them up and teach them and they use them in a way that they are able to kind of quell these, um, the different catastrophic events that could be happening because they're able to sense what is going on in the world, kind of be able to shift and use uh, the energies and flows and whatnot to be able to kind of offset everything. Yeah, you get in the you get the idea in the book that without the origins, there would be like nonstop earthquakes um on the planet to the effect that no one would be able to survive but the origins can like quell these very easily um they kind of suck up heat and energy from around them and they use that to still the earth to move the earth like you can they can make a volcanic eruption they can crack the earth into you know later uh, we'll talk about one of the characters that's like able to move like a huge you know, chunk of something in the earth with only her uh, orogenic abilities. Um, but they're, they have these powers from the time that they're little babies. And when they're toddlers and babies, they kind of still things without a thought. Like they can stop an earthquake without even trying. Um, but at the same time, if they get really upset, they can also cause huge damage because they don't know how to control themselves. And that's why they're so feared and given over to the fulcrum like as soon as possible and it's not there a lot of times there are people in their communities actually end up killing them because they just they're just so accidentally volatile and and also sometimes they it's it's for the good so Mm -hmm. jump in do you think we're ready to jump right in (laughs) no i guess we're not what's your um yeah our ratings so (laughs) i think i'm gonna after like the first round i'm gonna give it a three and a half two um this book we've talked about this before in length but it's really heavy 
it is awesome in the way that it just like plunges you into this total world and it's a part one of a three-part series so there's a lot that she builds up for you to it's a steep learning curve to understand but once you're in it it really feels like it transports you and I also love that N.K. Jemisin is um, a black author and I'd say like 90% of the people in this book are people of color and like just the way she uses that is really cool and they're not you know human well I guess they are humans but they're not on the earth so they're like totally different races than we even have here in our world but it's just really like a really cool world that she built but it was it was also kind of um a trudge at some points yeah and I feel the exact same way I've been wanting to read this book for a while about two years um and it was it was very interesting in the sense that it kept you going with the different um the different struggles that all the protagonists went through. But at the same time, yeah, it was, they never got out of it. It seemed every, every time you would have a little bit of a reprieve, you would think that, you know, like somebody, something crazy is fixing to happen to them. Like you can guarantee it's not going to be like easy going for long. So that was mm-hmm. hard at times. Um, Kip and I also discussed, I did the audiobook. She read the book in person. I would recommend reading this book, uh, reading the book in person. What am I saying? She read the, she, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. She had the physical book and I would definitely recommend it because there's there. She even said that, what did you say? That was back a little, um, yeah, there's glossary. Like a, yes. You need this glossary people <laughs> Buy the book. Do not try to give it off to law like yours truly. Yeah, you do need it. And it, and if you're going to start reading it, it's totally fine to dive into that first and kind of get your the lay of the land um, and reference back to it if you need to. Because there's also a lot of, like, avant-garde writing in this book where she'll really change up the, um, the perspective of who's speaking, uh, third person to first person. She talks like certain sections of the book are more like scriptural references. I mean, that's like little blurbs. Oh, but you know I what forgot I'm about that. That those yeah. were really those would throw me for a loop every time. Right, <laughs> and and it's so clear what they are and how they tie in if you read the book because they're written in a very different way. Um, she uses italics like very specifically. Like, there's just a lot of things that you need to see, and like she's using that kind of part of the art form to tell the story in a really cool way um but I, it would be hard and maybe the second one would be easier to to listen to once you're kind of in it and you know what's Understand. going on a little bit no, right i think probably could be um okay so we start off well before we start off i guess we've got three different protagonists um all female the first one that's introduced to us is eason she's a middle-aged um mother of two does it maybe say I think she works at like a school? She lives in some little like random town. Yeah, I um, think she's a teacher. Yeah, something along those lines. She's married to a man named Gija. Um, and they have like a two year old and I can't remember how old the daughter is. Maybe like yeah. five or six. And it references her characters like calm, still, not outgoing, like definitely stays in her place. And it kind um, of almost- I felt like to mentioned several times, like she was kind of pudgy or like, you know, it almost mm-hmm. like and maybe like the way she thought about herself, kind of like put herself down a little bit. I was kind of like, oh, that's <laughs> kind of, you know what I mean? Definitely like, just very middle-aged. Like she's right, not just young. She's got to be average. in her late, 
She's probably like, I would put her at like 40. That was my guess. Because yeah. she can't be that much younger. Because I think she has like a, maybe like a five or six year old. And then she had a two year old. I think that um, that sounds about wrong. Right. So at the very beginning of the book, you see like a shadowy figure on a hill looking over this like huge city. And he destroys the city. And later you kind of put two and two together that he is an origin. But because the way the book works, you don't understand for a while when that happened. But it does happen, like, in the narrative of the book, it does happen um, right in the beginning. And that is directly linked to what is happening in Eason's kind of world. So she senses that something happens, but her children, so she's an origin in secret. Usually, like we said, they're um, sent away very young. And she's constantly, like, hiding the fact that she is an origin. But her little son, who's so young, can't control it. And he actually saves their city from being destroyed by this kind of um, fallout wave from this huge explosion that's happened, you know, hundreds of miles away. And his father realizes what he is. And he kills the child. And so when Eason wakes up or comes home or whatever it is, she finds her little boy dead. Her husband's gone and he's taken her daughter with him um, and fled. And I believe that at this point, she, I mean, she knows her kids are also origins, but she's mm-hmm. kind of wondering, does Jija, the spouse, you know, does, yeah. like, did, did he only save her because he doesn't know, like, presumably? And so, yeah, she immediately jumps in this quest. She's out to, like, find and rescue her baby. Yep. Um, so then we have it kind of flash to, I think it's Demaya is mm-hmm. next. Demaya is a young girl. Um, she... How old did you think she was? I think she's probably around because she's a little older, right? Like for training. See, I was thinking, you know, whenever I'm envisioning this, I'm envisioning like Echo. seven, like yeah, yeah. six, six, seven-ish is what it kind of yeah. felt like to me. So yeah, I think she's like five, six, seven years old. It's got to be like six because she's still young, but she's like a little. Right, she's I still guess, trusting and right. Right. So she's like living in a barn and her parents won't even speak to her and are just treating her like total garbage. And a man shows up to take her away. Um, They specifically point out that like the mother and father won't even look at her. They have her like um, peeing in a bucket and he like really gets onto them for that. And he ends up being a guardian and the guardians are kind of the force who are there specifically to track and keep all of the origins of the fulcrum in line. So if any of them even thinks about going rogue or escaping, they're literally like imprinted with like a guardian has a very specific, you know, um, origin underneath them that they have, I guess later you realize they even have like a microchip like in them that helps them track their origin helps them control their origin and it literally like um if they touch your skin like an origin skin they're unable to use their powers i thought that was such a cool way because when i um kind of heard a little bit of the excerpt of the book you know you kind of did i mention this in this part i don't remember i heard it on npr 
so that's how I knew about the book. But mm-hmm. whenever it kind of mentioned it, it was really, um, you know, when it talked about these people are despised, I was kind of thinking like how, you know, are, like they have all the, the ability. Right, they have all the power. Like, right. So w- what's keeping them from kind of ruling the place versus like being, you know, the, the ones that are being killed left and right. And then, so that was such an interesting way to like really keep them in line and really make sure that they use their powers only in the way that uh, everyone else kind of approved of. So I thought that was, that was a good twist there. Yeah. Um, but Demaya really got to me because yeah, she hates her parents when this, I, I feel like it gives him a name. I can't remember his, Oh, Shafa. Whenever yeah. Shafa ends up kind of going to her um and their journey into the fulcrum she really begins to kind of look to him in and like you know in a almost like a grandfatherly fatherly kind of way because she's really missed out on the kind of experience of like you know people that love her despite what she is and almost of course right away there's like an experience where um I believe maybe she makes a comment like, what would happen if I didn't listen kind of thing? And he ends mm-hmm. up breaking her hand. So, and I, like, of course, the main thing I wrote down is like in all caps, gas lighter. Right. <laughs> because here's, here's the quote. I love you. He says, as he strokes her broken hand, I hate that it's necessary. I have hurt you so that you will hurt no one else. And then, so he makes her say, like, you'll hurt me if I don't obey, and you'll hurt me if I do obey, if you think you should. And I'm like, what? Yeah, classic abusive relationship. But it apparently works, because all of these origins are, like, they stay in line Mm -hmm. for the most part, and they are, like, deathly afraid of their guardian, but also, like, there's just this sick, like, love between them, too, where she really does crave his approval of her. And I just remembered that Shafa is also very creepy looking. He's like one of the only white people in the book, but like not just white, like white, like his skin is like super white and like his eyes are like almost white. Do you remember that? I do not remember the like silver. He's like silver eyes and like, um, black like long his hair. whole character is beyond <laughs> creepy so He's i can so this sounds about right <laughs> right so he takes her to the fulcrum which is down south and she kind of trains me and Lacey also talked about we both kind of loved this storyline because we both love this um even though it's like a weird twisted version I love a, I love a school setting. I love a boarding school. I love a cadet, like, learning the ropes. <laughs> I love, like, the training and the meeting the other people. And I like that whole thing. Right. And so our, our, our third person is uh, Sana. Sana was perhaps the most interesting to me. Um, I have written down she was 20. So 20, Mm -hmm. maybe she's 20s-ish. She wants a leadership job. But at this point, um, oh, she's also an origin. Maybe, you know, all three of them, of course, are origins. At this point, though, her job is a breeder. So essentially what they want to do is have. uh, And she's fairly powerful. The origins are ranked. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Well, that was actually what I was going to say is yeah. that what, at this point, what is she? 
four. She's, She's a four. Like a four. Yeah, a four, a four ringer. ringer. So there's there's ten rings, ten being the the highest ability. So she's a four ringer. They want to breed her with another higher level uh, origin to be able to produce, obviously, like you know, more superior. So she actually gets kind of like what I was thinking. Like this is gonna be like the job of a lifetime. And you're right. She must be considered <laughs> like a very high, even though she's really you know four out of ten doesn't really seem that high. Mm-hmm. But she's meant to breed with alabaster, a ten ringer. And it's the mm-hmm. only one that I can think of that's mentioned in the book that's, you know, to that high level. Can you yeah, they make, they make it a point. I, the only one that I remember is Alabaster said that his trainer was a 10 ringer and that he was killed right in front of him. Um, you can tell, like, there's a lot of, like, politics at work. They don't want Origins who are too powerful because they are so incredibly dangerous and at some point when you have like a 10 ringer like even a guardian can only do so much against him um and so they have to they think keep these people tightly tightly controlled but there's another like twisted reason why they still want these extremely powerful um origenic babies to be born that i guess we'll touch on later we're not even going to scrape the surface there's going to be some major spoilers happening here but like it's a really uh there's a lot of plots running around here um wrong tell me when it introduced sana and (laughs) alabaster what were you expecting cyanide i couldn't understand why she hated alabaster so much because to me alabaster is by far the most likable character in this entire Mm -hmm. book besides demaya and demaya is likable because she's a little girl so she's just you know even eason who is obviously doing like just a great like she's like a mom and she's trying to find her kids and she's on this quest she still has like this kind of iciness about her like a little bit of a bubble where you know that she's got a past and like the way that they write it like it's very clear that she's got a past that she's running from something and so it makes her a little hard to like get to know um and then i think cyanide i told you this before if any of y'all have watched the queen's gambit she reminded me so much of that kind of character like of um what is her name I'm Liz- sitting here trying. Betty, Lizzie, uh, Elizabeth. Well, and I thought it was Beth. <laughs> oh, it's Beth. It's something it's like Beth. that. No, you're right. I'm terrible. <laughs> no, it's Beth. Um, she reminds me of the Beth character, like very aloof, extremely intelligent, very introverted, does not give a crap what anybody thinks about her, want, like ambitious. Um, and but also, also like, hurt, hurtful without maybe even meaning yes. to be hurtful. Yeah. And, like, just full of rage, too. Like, yeah. she's so angry and just hateful in certain ways where I, I get it. I do get it. But it just makes her unpleasant. Like, she's so mean to Alabaster sometimes. And I totally understand not wanting to show up and have sex with this random man so that you can carry a baby. Um, it was... To but Alabaster doesn't want to do it either. Right. And that's kind of what I, so I was, exp- I, the whole time I expected there to be like a point where the two of them really began to like genuinely care for each other because yes. I was like, this is, it's too much of a shtick, you know, like it's like, oh, we hate one another. And mm-hmm. then like, you know, the, the romance blossoms never happens. And yeah. that just kind of, 
you know, they did eventually, I guess, get to become friends and kind of like right. on a on a level that they respected one another. But yeah, I just I kept thinking that was so strange. But I, you know, Sinai is like the total ice princess, and I think that it just comes from years and years and years of like just basically emotional trauma because she's being raised in the fulcrum. Um, she was also kind of a loner, wasn't she? I mean, it made it sound like she never yes. really had any friends as a child. Right. So. Right. So, I mean, it, it does clock. It's like, I can picture this person. I probably met this person and uh, I can see her, but she's not the most likable person in the world. Um, Alabaster, on the other hand, because he's a 10 ringer, he just has more freedom than her. And I don't think it's necessarily because he's a man, but because he's more powerful, he just doesn't have to answer to the fulcrum in the way that she does. And I think that's very frustrating to her. Like right. he, he questions a lot of the fulcrum. He's very frustrated and very open with that. And she knows that if she were to do that, she would never move up ever. And she'd be stuck as a breeder for the rest of her life. And so there's like that, total resentment there of like this idiot like can just do whatever he wants and I have to stick around with him and follow him around like his little dog or whatever (laughs) right and then of course he's doing all the little clockwork of like okay well now I'm ovulating let's do it yeah yeah exactly even more adding to the fire right and they actually very quickly after they get together um oh by the way I alabaster is like one of the people who I could actually picture as an actor and I pictured him as Leslie whatever his name is Aaron Burr from Hamilton that's what I pictured as a oh. master <laughs> so oh, there you okay. go yeah. um, he just kind of has like that ch- roguish charm about him I guess he's maybe a little too like beefy I, and handsome but see and I keep I, I keep thinking of him too in this like 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 melancholy like mm-hmm. you know what i mean like that kind of personality where like he's super powerful but just seemed really sad because he's kind of like okay i'm kind of stuck in my position and oh yeah you know he's like so i'm gonna do what i have to do but yeah it's kind of mm-hmm. like oh. so really soon after they meet and get together they're sent on a kind of like a mission for the fulcrum and they have to go to this kind of far away like sinkater kind of place um in like this mediterranean area area and so they go on like a cross-country trip and she's never left the fulcrum since she was a child i don't think is that right that seems about right i think this is kind of like her first big mission she was entrusted with and that's why she was so excited but she dreaded going with him and right and all that Right. That was, it was really interesting too, because it talked about like him being a 10 ringer. And like, so it talked about all these like little micro shakes. And mm-hmm. I remember um, it almost made it sound like that, um, you know, that things are happening so constantly. And he was so powerful that it was kind of like, you know, he didn't, he didn't have to really like think. It was just kind of like an offhanded, like, okay, fix, fix, fix. Yeah. Almost like how the children's, um, it like their instinctual mm-hmm. uh, intuition was to go in and fix it all. He was able to do the same thing. Where it seemed more, or where it seemed like uh, Sinai really, you know, she was at the point where she still had to kind of like really focus, hone in, solve the problem and would go on. Where his was just very much a constant stream of of solving. Yeah. And she like actually kind of makes fun of him for doing it. And then she, because 
supposedly there are these things called node stations all across the continent where an origin is in a post and they're there to protect the areas around them from any kind of um, disturbance. And he's like, yeah, node stations aren't what you think they are. Like I'm trying to take burden off of an, off the node stations. And at some point on their trip, I think, I think we can just kind of like continue with cyanite since she's the middle character. Right. And then we'll Demaya, go back. Well, I feel like Demaya as beloved as yes. she was, she doesn't, her story we could have done without her story kind of thing you know like we maybe yeah. needed the very first yes. initial part but like her the whole crumb you know not really pertinent to the mm-hmm. actual i did story. like it though i think one no, thing that too, she but... kind of discovers is going to be key later in the other books so if we want to oh hop yeah back, yeah if we want to yeah. hop back to demaya really quick because i guess you're right we can wrap that up quickly wrap real quick basically she's a total loner she goes through this like hazing type ritual where people are picking on her at the um, at the fulcrum and she like tricks them and gets back at them and after that she just like never makes another friend until one day this girl sneaks in from outside of the fulcrum and who's like part of the city I don't know who she's like a leadership person like a leadership's child yes um, and Anyway, she's, like, very taken with this girl, but also, like, doesn't want to get in trouble. They end up, like, exploring this part of the building that um, Demaya had been kind of, like, poking into on her own anyway. And they find this chamber with this huge pit. And they just don't know what it is. And so it's, like, very strange. They're ended up, they end up being caught by the guardians and they almost get in huge trouble um but shafa actually kind of comes to her rescue and makes her take her first ring test in order to like uh not be destroyed basically they're like you better pass this and prove that you're worth something or you're out of here and that's kind of the end of her story that's all we really hear about her Right, I know it's such a cute little, cute, cute girl, terrible story. And even one other note that I wrote down that's not maybe pertinent to the story other than just kind of shows how she was raised. It talks about, Uh at one point, um, a student was, I can't remember, was being molested or in some way was being, like, sexually Uh abused. And, you know, like, they're all kind of, like, covering it up and, like, don't really say anything about it. And so it's, like, really, like, you know, she could have been at some point in her life going through the same thing because these people are really looking at them um, and and like you said, like their value and their worth, not as a person, but as what can you do for our community? Because if you can't provide much, you know, you don't have a lot of use here. They're Um, just a tool. Right. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. And we kind of uh, figure at some point. So um, what some of the kids going through these things are the origin children are kind of taken away and, and aren't reintroduced back into society or into their their you know origenic society. Yeah. So the ones assume, that can't the ones that can't pass their tests. Right. Well, and I even mean the one the, that one that got in trouble mm-hmm. with crack and the the little boy that you know this happened to. I yeah. wondered. So we bring it back to the node station. I wondered if one of them got shipped over there. I mean, you know, they could have up and just killed him. But mm-hmm. so when we find out about the node stations, basically it's like a, what kind of, what would you call this? Like it's a child that has been. They're basically uh, given a lobotomy. Um, so 
e- or not Ethan, but um, Sinai and Alabaster end up having to go to a node station at some point because there's a disturbance. And they get there and everyone is dead. And they're like, well, where's the origin? Like, where's the origin? And they go in and there's a little child who's like, I picture almost someone with like cerebral palsy, like all shriveled up and in this horrible contraption. And they actually talk about these things. Is it called Cesapina? Yes. Okay. At the base of these people's skull, everybody has something called a Cesapina. And an origin has a more advanced Cesapina. And they think that's how they can do or um, orogeny or whatever it's called. So this child has been taken lobotomized and then this machine plugged into their cesapina so when she pictured the node stations she literally pictured someone just like working there every day going about their business and you know quelling these earth shakes but really they've turned this child into like a orogenic machine it's still alive they keep it alive but it's just like it's so gross and they're just using it like a tool and it's horrible and something goes wrong. And they say like, somebody let this kid wake up a little too much and he ended up like killing everybody around him. Um, Because he's probably in agonizing pain. And you know, I forgot about that part, but that Alabaster even mentions, I believe that there's like um, people would, you know, this is people that are not origins, just regular members of society. Mm-hmm. They would want to see what is going on. And so it was almost like, a, like a, you know, like come tour the freak show. Like, let's right. see this child. Yeah. Later. But people don't see origins as, as human. Right. Exactly. They mention, yeah, they mentioned that that little boy looks a lot like Alabaster. When I got to that point in the book, I had to stop. And, so and I, had to, I had to take a break because... Yeah. The thought of seeing my child abused and like that. And what was, I guess what is really interesting too is even though, you know, like uh, Sinai's a breeder, he clearly mm-hmm. is or has been bred before. They don't, there's not exactly familial ties. I mean, I would say in almost no. no shape. There's no, and you know, he's still obviously because he assumes it's probably his son. He feels sorrowful but he knows he kind of can't do anything but he's not feeling like this deep anguish kind of thing that i'm imagining like me as a parent or you as a parent would feel you know yeah. in this kind of situation i do think he feels more than someone like cyanite because he just like he rode so hard to get there and to try and help and then he's been trying to help the whole time i just think he he does have that depressive side to him where he's like kind of given up and feels like there's nothing he can do about it but he he has said that he believes he has 10 or 12 children and he assumes that like almost all of them are very powerful and probably are at like node stations being used that way, which is terrible. I can't. Oh. But it's yeah. a great way, I guess, for us to see what the communities feel about them and, mm-hmm. and basically why the oh yeah, so the. I guess I've been calling them the regular people, but they're called the stills, <laughs> yeah. I believe. Isn't that what yes. So, yeah. you know, the, the stills and the origins kind of like the, you know, how they view one another. It's like, okay, well, they don't have any powers. They're really not pertinent to my life. And where they're right. like, oh, well, you do have powers and you could kill me, so I despise you. So it's it's definitely yeah. a back and forth of, um, you know, hatred. So, yeah. So then the two of them travel on. They get to their destination and they're kind of treated like garbage by the local people. Um, 
someone tries to poison alabaster and some crazy stuff happens but at the end of the day he gets really sick he's able to save himself um but it leaves cyanide to kind of finish the mission on her own and she goes out with all these people um there's something blocking their harbor their harbor city this coral has grown up all over the harbor and they're like, we can't get big ships in here anymore. We need you to clear this out. But when she's like feeling around with her um, originic powers, she can't, she's like, that's not coral down there. Like there's coral on top of it, but there's something mad weird down there. Like, I don't think that I should mess with this. This might cause a huge problem. And they talk about it for a while and they're like, no, you just got to do it. Like, we we can't afford this. You you yourself are very expensive. Whatever. She tries to warn them, but they like force her to do it. Um. Yeah. And so as she does this, I, I think it's it kind of talks about and everything kind of starts like shift and like she recognizes that something's going on and suddenly mm-hmm. and is it an obelisk? Is that what you said? Comes, yeah, an obelisk. comes up. <laughs> comes up from the ground. She sees there's a stone eater trapped inside. Mm-hmm. And basically, I guess it's kind of like hovering over the city at this point. Yeah, and it's broken. So they have talked about in the past. So imagine you're like looking at this desolate wasteland of a country that they live in. Every once in a while in the sky, you see a giant obelisk that looks like a gemstone floating there in the sky and it might be like red or emerald or whatever and they're just kind of floating around and in the glossary it actually does say that nobody really knows what they are or where they came from um but i picture it to be like like an obelisk but almost like have has that like prism like point at either end that's how i pictured it i don't really know um some of this anyway felt so yeah. abstract and or, you know i had to really yes. sit there and kind of like kind of <laughs> let it go like okay just do the best yeah, you can sure sure, sure sure <laughs> right so there's like a a thing inside of it and it's like you can tell it's it's bright red the one that she raises up and as soon as she like starts it she doesn't have to finish because it it wrenches itself out of the earth and it like kind of wobbles into the sky but it's just like not where it's supposed to be you can tell that there's something seriously wrong with it it's all like black and um streaked and stuff like that and everyone's afraid of it like they should be uh flash forward to a few days later her and alabaster are like talking about this thing and they're taking a walk and just like what the heck is going on um he and her also like kind of talk about the fact that they've had to use more strength than they've ever used before doing these things they've had to do. And Sinai realizes that she's able to tap into the power of these Mm -hmm. um, obelisks and like it magnifies her strength and Alabaster can do the same thing. Well, as they're talking about this, a guardian appears and basically tries to like take them both out. And Sinai taps into that broken red obelisk to save them and basically destroys the entire city. And they end up on this like remote island and she has no idea what happened. And then she turns around and then there's this creepy lady standing there and you realize that, 
uh, this whole time. Um, what's his face? Uh, uh, Alabaster has had this like uh, woman, this stone eater, this figure that follows him around and like likes him for some reason. <laughs> and she has drugged him there. And she's just like beyond weird, looks like a woman, but looks like she's made out of like white stone marble and very it says very little is known about them so and right yeah. all it really says is like they kind of eat through like literally eat through stone and they're uh-huh human like but clearly not human yeah yeah felt- and they she literally drug the two of them through the earth to get there like she can kind of protect a human being while she does it i'm i'm assuming she does go or nk jemison goes into more detail about them in the second third novels because Mm -hmm. i would really be interested to hear more about them because there's you know there's like two well nearly one like kind of main characters of the story that are skull eaters so it's like dang you know tell us a little bit about it and they're so different like this one is very like ethereal and i Mm -hmm. almost picture like a galadriel type person like very distant and mythical but then other ones that you meet it's just like okay what's going on here um so just to wrap up their story like in two minutes if i can yeah do your best (laughs) they end up on this remote island, they realize there's a calm there, a community that nobody knows about, and it's a bunch of pirates that live there. And they happen to be outside of the normal society, and they actually have origins as their leaders. And at first, they're like, how can they live here? Like, a tsunami would, you know, knock them out in two seconds. And they realize they have origins here that protect them. And they basically, like, go out as pirates and steal everything they need and bring it back. But it's like, on the whole, a happier and more fair society than the norm. Um, and the weirder part of this story is that the head kind of origin ends up falling for both Alabaster and Sinai, and they have like this thruple going on, which it's even weirder because Sinai and Alabaster still don't like each other very much. That- I, I will say though, like what? It, to me, it did make sense that Alabaster was gay. Like once it kind of explained it, yes. I was kind of like, oh, like it made yes. a lot more sense because it was kept on like he was so hesitant about like sex and everything. And I was like, I guess he just doesn't really like her and like just different little right. ailments. And I was kind of like, huh? Then I'm like, okay, like well, of course he, you know, he's just. <laughs> um, what what is the main guy's name? The the man I... they both fall for. I did not write it down. Not remember to like. But wasn't he like life. a long, like dread headed, like I picture him as like six, a very six, like yes, boisterous <laughs> and like Stella got her groove back, like uh, island man kind of guy. He was, I will say, such. He was maybe one of the most um, interesting, fun characters. Mm-hmm. Like, like we yes. talked about, the book is so kind of like, oh, like a little drag and dreary. His name is Enon. Enon. Okay. Or Enon. In Enon. Okay. In the, the they, they pronounce his book in, or Enon in the audio. Book, okay. But, sure. Sure. I mean, I don't, yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. So, yeah. but I, I actually really enjoyed his character where he was actually like mm-hmm. a lot of fun and like, and brought out this side of Sina, you know, the whole time we mm-hmm. see her, she's really negative and just kind of like, kind of hates yeah. what she's doing. And she really does become a 
a really enjoyable character, I thought. Like, you know, as they're together. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, look at there. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Sinai has become pregnant and it's Alabaster's baby. And it kind of jumps forward in time that they'd been there for like three years. And they're all kind of like raising this child together. And she has softened a little bit. Like you can tell, like it's still really hard for her. Like Alabaster is actually way more bonded to this child in a traditional way. But she, and does a lot of the caretaking, but she of course does like love him and cares for him. And I think Um, it was just kind of like that with all his other kids, he really, he kind of knew, you know, no reason to get attached. Mm-hmm. Where with this, his little son, yeah. he just threw three sheets to the wind and like loved him so much. Yes. I, I really did enjoy so this sad. part of the book. This like positive yeah. part of the book enjoyed it, but don't worry. It doesn't last long. <laughs> I know. Eventually they're found out and the guardians come and everybody ends up dying. And um, the stone eater comes and drags Alabaster away. Who's like trying to protect everyone. And uh, Sinai basically does the same thing where she realizes that this is the end. So she taps into the obelisk and just like obliterates everyone, including her own child. And she, it's I, so I, sad. I know why she did it and I can mm-hmm. understand it. But at the same time, didn't it just kill you? Were you just like, I, I really Ugh. think in that moment, also, Sinai assumed that she was like kamikaze. Like, I think she really wanted to die too. And I think uh, yeah, she was I... just as surprised as anyone else that she survived that. So sad. So I guess, let me think. That's the, that's the, the end of her story, that's right? That, yeah, that's her story. Well, then, y'all, we find <laughs> out almost the end of the book that all three characters are the same person that the Damaya took a uh, what do you I can't remember took a name they get an they get an origin name uh, and it's usually like the name of a rock or a mineral or something like that so she became Sana and -hmm. then after um, Sana basically survived she had to have a new identity so she became Isun so Mm -hmm. And that, went into hiding. That too is what got to me. Is whenever I looked at the grand picture of her life, I'm like, wow, her life with that like two year blip she lived on the <laughs> island really right. sucked. It was really, literally really hard. everything. And she had so 10 years, sad. I think, on the run and like kind of got getting married and having these other children. And that's so what brought her a lot of joy, I felt. Right. And she was able to love those children even more fully. I think once her child was gone it just like it just it it took care of whatever was holding her back before and she was able to fully love and like bond with her new children um which just makes it so much sadder you also have an eason refers to herself as eason over and over again like she wants to be interesting yeah she wants to be like good she wants to be calm she wants to be not Sinai and I guess she also probably just wants to for I would assume forget that part of your life I mean how yeah how tragic for so many people's lives to be on your hands mm-hmm. even if you know like you know she didn't intentionally kill that city of people for any reason uh, you right. know she's trying to protect herself but oh man so sad so so yeah go ahead oh I'm just gonna say that so Eason is we're following her along 
I, I loved how it kind of built this tribe of mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of wackadoos. Like, you know, they're all joined together to go rescue her her um, daughter, hopefully. So, so interesting. She's got Koa, a uh, stone eater child. Ho- Hoa, I Hoa? think. Oh, Hoa. Hoa. Yeah, sure. I think, yeah, yeah, I think Hoa. it is Hoa. And then, but she doesn't know he's a stone is... eater. He just shows up naked and afraid in the middle of the night. You're right. I knew he was a stone eater because I read the description on Wikipedia. What was? Yeah, I had no idea. That really shocked me, Lacey. That shocked me more than figuring out that all three of them were the same. By by about halfway through Cyanite Story, I was like, you know what? I think all these people are the same. Like, this makes sense to me because they're obviously not living in the same timeline. You know what I mean? Right. But Hoa shows up as this like little dirty child and starts following um Eason because he's he's just like I like you I'm gonna fall I'm gonna follow you and he's obviously very weird this was very interesting so we talked we talked about like Torino and like basically it was the only kind mm-hmm. of place nearby that was salvaged and so there's a lot of like little scavenger people that she's kind of going um she's trying to you know avoid them because she's the origin she wants to make sure they're kind of mm-hmm. not going to come and attack her and you know she kind of wants to be separate so yeah so he kind of sticks to her what is the trans woman's name the, um the like tonky tonky what a t- <laughs> <laughs> so then tonky joins along and tonky what was it she was a was a professor of something she right. was a i think it's called a geomist or something or an engineer Basically, she just studies rocks and science. Um, and but she's actually an what is it called? Like a calmless, basically yes. like a homeless yes. person. And Ethan's trying to figure her out because she's like, "Wow, like so much of you doesn't track because you're very intelligent." She keeps talking about how bad she stinks. <laughs> like she's very homeless. Like lives in a cave, but then she has like this little doodad that that boils the water and makes sure it's pure she has um other like technology that you can tell that she's come from like she's fallen very far to get to this point and um after you know they're uh, eventually hoa reveals himself as like um something tries to attack them and hoa turns it into stone and then um Tonky sees that happening and she's like, Oh, I'm coming with you. Like, it's right. very interesting. I want to like keep my eye on this. And they all kind of like move along together. And they, and, and also Hoa claims that he can sense where her daughter is. And so that's kind of why she keeps him around. Uh, and he's also a child in her eyes. And so they're like kind of moving towards her husband and her her daughter she thinks and then they end up getting to this community um where the book will end and it's actually a community of origins and stone eaters and all of these kind of outcast type people i thought so when it gets to this point it's you know we we've, we've endured so much of the book there was mm-hmm. i felt like you know, there's just so much more to come, I'm sure. Yes, yes. I'm trying to remember, they go into, or go under the ground. There's a, was it a society under the earth? There was. Uh-huh. It's like a there's... geode. It's like described as they go down into this shaft that was an old mine. 
And then they walk through this one hole in the wall and it opens up into this huge cavern full of these crazy geodes and people are living inside the geodes. And there's like all this tech, like um, stuff to like whisk smoke and like that air out stuff to like bring fresh water down, like all this stuff. And they realize eventually that it's actually orogeny that makes it work. Like uh, nobody really knows who built it, how they built it or how it works, but somehow, and they're, they're a little sketch at this point because her daughter's not there. She's never been there. Hoa doesn't like this place. And they're a little worried that they're never going to get out. And then kind of the, one of the last little twists is at one point they're all in their like little home and Eason turns around and like takes a really good look at Tonky and it suddenly clicks. You realize earlier, by the way, that Tonky is actually like a transgender character, but it's kind of like, I don't know, just like a non, non issue. It's not like a huge part of her character. Anyway, she looks at her and she's like, I know who you are. You're that girl. And it all connects that this woman is the little girl who snuck into the fulcrum like years and years ago and got Demaya to like figure out where that pit was with her. And she's like, yep, I am. And I've been tracking you since that day. Like, Can you that- imagine <laughs> that part? Like, I was like, wait, what? Are uh, you mad? Huh. <laughs> and t- Tonky, too, is more of, like, a lighthearted character, so hopefully we'll get some, like, comedic relief from her in the second book, but yeah, it was like, yeah, I, I, you know, you fell off my radar for a little bit, like, while she was off on that rock, (laughs) but somehow, um... I don't know, she tracked her. And maybe I am, you know, just a critic. That was almost a bit too much of a stretch. I'm like, look, she's had three identities here, lady. Come on now. You're just a regular person. (laughs) Yes. In this insanity, I agree. While the earth is quaking and like, you know what I mean? Like communities are dying and you're worried about Mm -hmm. one almost insignificant (sighs) orgy. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know what though she kind of implies that she only figured out like she got interested in figuring um like finding cyanide again as an adult and then she realized somehow that the obelisks are real like drawn to certain origins and so somehow because she's a geomist she's a scientist she is tracking all of these patterns of the obelisks and then figures out who they're attracted to and that's how she found her that's kind of what how it is explained so i'm like okay it kind of makes sense there's a a little bit of a paper trail yeah and so like it does throughout the book like mention like oh and no one noticed that the obelisk was slowly moving this way and it's like okay now that you realize like that's why they said that but anyway it's just very very weird okay i feel Um, like there's one more part that i'm remembering we get reintroduced mm -hmm. to alabaster correct who we thought yeah right and i still like can't figure out the stone eater saving you that's what I, that's the only yeah, thing. You that also, re- so 
Well, they they describe it. He's up on the cliff, like fighting these guardians that are coming to kill them, and he starts sinking into the cliff. He starts sinking into the rock, and you realize that the stone eater is dragging him down, and he's like, "I'm so sorry, like I can't do anything." And then he just disappears, and with his dying, you know, breath, asks her to save their son, which she's unable to do, and she talk- um, and takes him. Who knows? And I where. believe it talks about too, like throughout the book, a little bit, like. Or, you know, towards the end of the book, she she doesn't want to see him because she just is like, how am mm-hmm. I going to explain to him? No, I didn't save yeah. him. Actually, I killed him. Yes. Even though it was yeah. for, I don't want to, like yeah, a mercy right, killing. Right. Like, it was, you know, there was, there was a reason right. there. And, you know, she did it with, of course, no malice. It's still like, oh, okay, like, that was your beloved child. Your only, like, yeah. one child that you're close to. And I killed him. That was well, you also, you're seeing him, like, all twisted, and, like, it mentions that, like, some of his limbs have turned to stone. Like, I don't know what's going on with him right now. And that, like, he had been partially eaten by the stone eater that's by his side. I'm like, what is going on? I don't understand. Uh, um, but you finally realize that that shadowy figure and then the mythical creature next to him at the very beginning of the book that destroyed the city that you know set off this whole fifth season catastrophe was alabaster and his stone eater he's the one that did it to get back at the fulcrum finally and like destroy the society that had like taken everything from him this book is so heavy (laughs) (laughs) it ends on this point where there's kind of you know there's this I was, I've said it once, I'll say it again. I did not know this was a three-part book. I was livid to get to the end of this mm-hmm. book and be like, hold on. I have endured all of this. And now there's more. It's, I know. You know, I gave it a three and a half. I guess maybe I would give it maybe closer to a four. Because it, it, I do want to finish it. I do want to hear more. Yeah. I just, so much sadness. And after your... After you're done and you look back, you see the clear paths and it's not that hard to follow. It's just in like that first couple of chapters when you're trying to get your footing, it's a little tricky. Right. I it is a she little does tricky. end up building this world that is extremely fun. I I do enjoy the dystopian. Mm-hmm. I will say I hardly ever get into environmental that's not really what like is fun yeah. for me, but I did really enjoy this, and it is really fascinating to think about somebody that's able to, you know, shift and move and like use that for their good and be able to, you know, solve um, small quell. Totally. You know, I mean, like it's fun. I, I love the superhero aspect. Yeah. I love that, and it was so like it was very original. It was really cool. Um, we'll read the rest of the series, and. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long time. We gave our little, like, sorry explanations in the first time we tried to record this. But basically, I was able to go away for, like, a month to the mountains with my family. And I did not bring any books with me, which was dumb. And I, uh, uh, my husband went back from paternity <laughs> leave and just kind of been reef, getting my foot in on how to be a parent of three kids all day long. <laughs> yeah but we're back and we also want to drop some like little fun short um episodes not necessarily based on any specific book just kind of talking about characters and different book themes and and hopefully they'll be they'll be fun and maybe a little bit easier to 
the juggle versus yes to digest (laughs) so yeah let us know if there's anything you want to hear us talk about um everything i hear is that people just want to hear Lacey talk because she has such a cute accent "Hmm." which is true i will say (laughs) the first like we how long do we talk we said like 25 minutes the first five minutes i caught myself like speed talking and i apologize because afterwards, I, like while we even while we were talking, I was like, "Wait a minute!" I was like, "Why am I speaking this fast?" So, if I spoke too quickly, I also just want to, you know, I, I will try to tone that down. That's hard. Oh well. <laughs> All right. Well, we gotta wrap this thing up. But-